what we found is a big sound in a small town. Far from the bright lights, they're making music every night. Hear what is all around, it's a big sound in a small town. It's a big sound in a small town. It's a big sound in a small town. Hi, and welcome to Big Sound Small Town. I'm your host, Sandy Carlton, and this is a podcast about the lives and stories of the musicians, writers, artists, and their associates that have their roots in the small towns and communities across America. If you like what you hear, tell somebody. Enjoy. like dogs most of the time and I hear them through these walls of mine they must be deaf the way they shout things I would rather not know about maybe they're drunk Maybe they're stoned Maybe they can't leave well enough alone But there ain't nothing that I can do I don't care who did what to who I just walk across and turn the TV I was in love yes, I, I wish I was in love I wish I was in love I wish I was in love so do I, I wish I was in It's been so long that they forgot What lonely is and what a lonely does And just how lonesome, lonesome was It's been so long since I got dressed For anyone but myself A little Chinese food And a paper cup I wish I was in love yes, I, I wish I was in love 
I wish I was in love I wish I was in love To be good to each other be kind tonight Hold your baby And hold her tight Get down on your knees Apologize As it don't matter Who's wrong or who's right Cause love is precious Precious like gold all I got is this remote control You'll be flipping through the channels To the same old stuff Saying I, I wish I was in love Yes, I do I I wish I was in love I wish I was in love Today on Big Sound Small Town, my guest is singer-songwriter, a North Carolina treasure, Jonathan Bird. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thanks so much, Sandy. Um, I love the fact that with all your records, with all your videos, uh, you still call North Carolina home. Oh, yeah. You know, I was, I was tempted. I was never tempted to move to Nashville, honestly. Um, I like that city. I like the people who live there, but it, it didn't. It never felt like a home. Right. I said make a home. I was tempted to move to Austin, Texas. I do understand that. And that, that was a town that felt like home to me. And uh, actually, before we rolled tape, we had a little bit of discussion about Texas and how oh, much yeah. they appreciate their own original artists. They do. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, let's yeah. Let's talk. Tell me about your Kerrville ex experience while we're here. You know. Well, yeah, so I, I start, when I got serious about songwriting, it's kind of when I realized that I really wanted to make a living playing music. And one of the ways I could do that was if it was just me and a guitar, then the economy of that meant that I could make enough money to pay myself. True. Yeah, I couldn't start out and have a band and be paying three or four guys. But I could go with just a guitar, and I could, you know, especially during the summer, I could go play the the, uh, the Hickory Pumpkin Festival or whatever. Sure, yeah, exactly. You know, and I could get on stage and play the guitar, and I'd get a check for 300 bucks or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I figured out how to do that, and one of the ways, one of the things I knew I needed to do that was to write songs, that there was a certain 
kind of a, a group of people. There was a niche out there yeah. who loved songwriting, and they would come and listen for the songwriting. Right. Um, and so I started writing my own songs, and I kind of started writing in, the, in a North Carolina tradition, blues and bluegrass. And right. The, the music that comes out of this state. So uh, my friend Chuck Brodsky's out of Asheville, North yes, Carolina. Yes, I know Chuck, yes. Great, great writer. He is. Uh, real hero for me. And I heard him on the radio, and then we did a song, we did a uh, show together, and so we we made friends. And he said, you need to go to Kerrville, to the Kerrville Folk Festival. And he told me all about it. It's in Texas. It's 18 days. It was, it was, it's kind of daunting, really. It is, it is. yes, it is. <laughs> When you think about it, and the and the, also the history of it, all the songwriters who have been there, but I, I wasn't even really aware of that scene. To, to me, a festival was like a bluegrass festival, old time sure. festival, those kind of festivals that happen around here. Yeah. So I, I wasn't really aware of this whole songwriter scene, or that it could be that rich. And it is rich. It's incredibly rich, right? And yeah. then, oh, so I went down in 2002 and ended up staying the whole time. I loved it. I didn't make it into the new folk competition I entered, but I didn't make it in. Um, but I loved it so much. I loved the people. And I, I just discovered this whole culture of people who revered songwriters. Just made me feel like a prince. Oh, yeah. I agree. You know, and you play a good song, and people just, they give you a beer, they invite you into their camp, they just, they love you because you had one good song. Oh, I agree. Yes. Yeah. It's a great culture. Um, so I went back in 2003, and I did get into the new folk competition, and ended up being one of the six winners, which really opened up Texas yeah. for me. Oh, yeah. Oh, went. Winning there almost makes you a leg, you know, a legendary songwriter in Texas. You know. That's right. And, and people, I go to Dallas. I go to Houston. Um, I could go into Louisiana, Shreveport. Yeah, Shreveport. Um, and yeah. But Little Rock, places that are kind of close to Texas, people would be going to that festival. If they were right. big songwriter fans. Or right. They presented a concert series, and they they wanted to hire songwriters. They'd go. And just you know, have a good weekend and hear a bunch of songwriters and hire some people. Sure. So it opened up this whole area for me. Um, so I, I was already kind of able to make a living right around here in my home state, and up Virginia, a little over the border in South Carolina. Right. Um, and then that opened up Texas, and I could go to Texas a couple times a year. Yeah. And Texas really changed my songwriting. Um, it opened me up. Uh, I don't know if it may, maybe just brought me forward a few decades. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of, sure. Because I, I was writing songs, and, and um, I know you've probably written stuff like this, where you you kind of want it. You don't want people to think you wrote it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Right, you right. Know, people, people say, "Where'd you learn that song? Where'd you hear that song?" Yeah. Um, and so a song that would just fit seamlessly into the bluegrass tradition or just kind of sound like a traditional song. Right. That's, that's the kind of stuff I was trying to write. Um, but then Texas opened me up to just, you know, what? How, how can you really explore the poetry of a song? What, yes. what can every word in the song mean? How do you put your stamp on songwriting and, and make your own style? Um, and so that was a whole new exploration for me and really guided me a lot. 
Yeah, I mean, you're, as a songwriter, you're, as a songwriter you're, your songs these days sound like you're from Texas, you know? I mean... I, I really do feel like a Texas songwriter. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I'm really proud to be from North Carolina, and I want to stay here, and I want to work here, and I want to be an influence on this scene here. Um, but really, my influences, if I'm honest with you, my, all my songwriting influences are Texas and Texas-like. Yeah, mine are too, and... and I mean, Kerbal was a life-changing uh, event for me. Um, you know, it, I went there thinking I knew how to write songs, and I didn't know crap. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, it, so it, I mean, it, it changed my writing, and and you know, I do understand what you're saying about writing in North Carolina because we've been exposed to festival-type bluegrass, old-timey, you know. I spent yeah. I spent a portion of my life doing the um, fiddle. I fiddle, and I spent a portion of my life at the you know fiddlers convention. So, you know, yeah, yeah so it's it's different. I, mean, I also want people to get just like North Carolina. Like when you say North Carolina music, I mean, come on, you're talking about John Coltrane. You're talking yes, you about, are. Uh, you know, Ada Baker. You're talking yeah. about. Big Boy Henry and the Piedmont Blues. You're talking about Earl Scruggs. Yes, you are. There's so many different kinds of music, and Texas is the same way. Beyonce is from Texas. Yeah, this which is yep. strange too. I, I, yeah, Buddy Holly was from Texas. Right. You, you, any any kind of music you can think of, it's there. So yeah, I, yeah. I don't want people to get the impression that like Charles Van Zandt, Nancy Griffith, and Guy Clark and that kind of songwriting tradition is the only Texas. Right tradition there's so much great music so much great music yeah it is it's it's wide open I'm, i mean you know plus you have your big um latino spanish music scene that comes out of there too i mean absolutely so yeah it's it's but it is a breeding ground for musicians and and particularly songwriters <laughs> plus one of the amazing facts to me that i always love about being a North Carolinian is the first governor of Texas came from Lincoln, North Carolina. Oh, that's cool. His name was James Henderson, and he was the very first um, uh, governor of Texas. So, see, North Carolina and Texas kind of mess you up, I think, maybe. <laughs> there's something, there's a link. There's Actually, if you just turn the, uh, the colors over, on the North Carolina flag, the red's on the bottom and the white's on the top. True. And if you if you see a North Carolina flag, if you're from Texas and you see a North Carolina flag and it's kind of far away or it's kind of blurry, you might think it's a Texas flag. Huh. That's a, that's a good observation. Flag. That's a great observation. I never thought if about you that. Just, you flip that red and white and it's almost it's the same flag, really. Yeah, kind of it is, yeah. 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 But, there's something there I, I don't know I don't know what the flag looked like in Lincoln's time but you know maybe that was an influence that he brought with him could have been you know it very well could have been you know uh, didn't you have an early brush with Texas there for a while when you were a kid yeah when I was real little um, my first memory ever my earliest memory ever was um, riding in a U-Haul and we were on our way to Texas my dad went to Southwest Seattle Theological Seminary in uh, in Fort Worth. Uh. So I don't think I was even two years old when we moved there, and I was probably 
four, maybe five when we left. Just enough so of it in your soul, I guess. Just a, just a little bit. I remember catching tarantulas after it rained. The tarantulas would all come out of their little holes in the ground. <laughs> so we'd catch tarantulas. That's pretty um, cool. I remember the road being just so hot, being a barefoot kid in the summer and just racing across the road. The, the asphalt was actually soft. It was so hot. Oh, yeah, turn it soft, yeah. So, yeah, I thought, I thought I'd have to add that in that Actually, you did spend some time in Texas as a, as yeah. a youth. So, that's pretty cool. Yeah. When I start traveling again, that's just one of the places I'm, I'm looking forward to, to going back to Texas. Yeah. Out there. Well, your songwriting fits in right there. Well, do you remember, like, the first song that you wrote that was, um, that you liked, or even the first song that you wrote? I, the, the first song, I mean... I, as soon as I started playing music, I started writing things, creating original pieces. Okay. Um, I remember my mom teaching me some piano when I was seven, eight years old. And I went through the workbooks, but I also would just sit at the piano and explore things or pick out tunes, pick out jingle bells or right. you know, just pick out a melody on the piano. Um, so, and I don't really remember when I started playing music. My brother had a guitar around, and it's just... I just messed around with stuff all the time. And when I started songwriting, I, I was, um, I guess in high school, I remember writing some songs, um, but not not really understanding how to take it seriously, right. how to approach it seriously. I had some words that rhymed, and they went with the melody that I'd written. Um, and I did that with like rock bands, I did rock bands, and I'd write songs, and they were kind of cool. Right. But they didn't really have that level of songwriting. Um, I didn't know how to aspire to it. I didn't know how to access it. In fact, a, a girlfriend of mine took me to see Towns Van Sant <laughs> yeah, when I was 23 or 4, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't have told you his name when we left. Wow. I, I didn't know how to recognize what I was hearing I didn't have that songwriting language right um, but something flipped a switch in my head when I started playing old time music going to fiddle festivals right um, and I think part of what was intriguing about it to me is that it was not polished Yes. If you were four years old and you just started playing the mandolin or grandpa had a washboard or whatever, you were in the band. True. Um, and that was very appealing to me. There was something about that. And then people would sing these songs that were just anonymous songs that got handed down and they had weird, dark things yeah. in them and they were mysterious. Yeah, they and sometimes yeah. they didn't quite make sense, but they were compelling somehow. Um, also, as a musician, the modal quality of that music was really intriguing to it me. Is. It, it, it is. I agree totally. Um, so I got into that. And those anonymous kind of story songs, I think something clicked with those. That the, you know, classic rock lyrics don't have to necessarily make sense. No, they do not at all. And, and that's kind of what I grew <laughs> up on. But those lyrics, 
they would have a story and they would follow a certain chronology and the people would have to meet and then something would happen and the characters characters were driven by events and there's something that clicked for me in that and I started writing songs that had those kind of details and had a flow like that. And I guess that didn't, I mean, I guess that didn't sit really crazy good with playing rock and roll, did it? Well, it's, you know, it's funny, like if you, if you listen with that ear to almost any kind of music, once you get that ear. Well, this is true. For the lyric. Yeah. Good observation. You find stuff. You find stuff like Prince or oh yeah, the stuff that Sting writes. Exactly. Yeah. Or going back to to the Joni Mitchell. My God, right. that woman oh, can write a song. She can. She really can. And her own thing. Like um, there's a song that I used to teach. And it's called Coyote. Yeah, I know the song. Yeah. Yeah, and it's off of an album of hers called Hijira. I think that's how you say I that word. I think it is, yep. sure. mm-hmm. and, um, But it has such a, it has a melody. But the words, like sometimes there'll be three words in a line, sometimes there's seven. True. And she pushes and pulls and squeezes them and gets all this stuff in there. It makes it feel conversational in a way that, I, I don't know if there's anybody else that does it that way. Well, she's actually a wonderful songwriter. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to work to be much do do any better than that. I'll I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, so so, I guess at some point, then during this time, you're deciding that music is what you want to do with your life. Yeah, when I was about 29, 28, somewhere around there, um, I had been in the Navy, I'd worked in a grocery store, I delivered pizzas, and I did all kinds of things, and I always played music. Right. And I, I would, uh, I mean, my, my guitar was actually strapped to a water main beside my bunk on the ship. <laughs> oh, so while you were in the Navy, you had your guitar with you too? It, it was always right there. I mean, I slept next to it. Uh. Um, and there were some. There was one watch. There was a watch in the um, in the the rudder room, which is this. There's this big machine that turns the rudders of the ship um, so that the ship can turn. It's an enormous ship, so the rudders are huge. So you got to have this big machine to turn them. And if some communication snafu happens between the bridge and the rudder room, then there's a way to manually control the rudders. So there's always some guy down in this little metal room <laughs> in the back of the ship who is ready to take over if there's a problem. So it's really noisy down there. You just hear this water churning because the propeller is right underneath you too. I mean, it's this enormous thing that drives this huge Navy ship, so it makes an incredible amount of noise. You have to have earplugs in and then your phone's on over the top of your earplugs. So I would take my guitar down there and play, and nobody could hear me. I couldn't hear me. I just, I kind of knew what my fingers were doing. If I knew something I wanted to learn, I knew what my fingers had to do in order to do that. So I would just sit back there for four hours of watch. And just play the guitar. And play my guitar. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I I realized at some point, like, why am I working so hard at these other things that don't have anything to do with what I want to do with my life? Sure. Um, you know, everybody says the music business is hard, but now you've kind of been out in the world for a while. Yeah. Business is hard. Yeah. Yeah. It is. So you, you just learn how to do business. Um, and so I 
that's when I started applying myself to it and making a living. I mean, I mean, your stuff. Okay, if we t- if we take your recording career and stuff, it's it's you've been all over the place. I mean, you know, I, I look at it and I'm thinking, wow, but he still lives in North Carolina, you know. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I don't know how that happens travel, exactly. The more, I, the more I travel, the more I realize how special this is. Mm-hmm. I think North Carolina is really special. I think where I am in North Carolina in particular is really special, being in the Chapel Hill, Raleigh, Durham. Sure. Mevin is right there in Burlington. Right. I have access to anything you could want, really. True, you do. Um, and if I wanted to go to the beach, that's close. If I wanted to go to the mountains, that's close. If right. I want to go to the theater, if I want to go to an art museum, true, any kind of food, oh anywhere yeah, anywhere in the world, just about that I want is somewhere within thirty minutes. Sure, it is. I mean, it, that is a a prime location with, to live in North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the music scene is so great, and each place has their own. Raleigh has its own music true. scene. Durham has its own music scene. Chapel Hill has its own music scene. Mm-hmm. Alamance County has its own thing. This is true. Yeah. Well, it, now, but you've taken your stuff. I mean, you've left here and without being on a huge label, without having Nashville backing or, you know, you've taken yourself to just about every show, every thing there is to do. Yeah. You know, you just got to keep calling people until they say no. (laughs) 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 And then it's great because you can move on and do something else. True. Like no is always the second best answer. Yeah. Um, But I'm still in North Carolina also because, you know, people, people want, what I've got, like I, I do, a, there's a conference called the Folk Alliance Conference. It's right. a big mm-hmm. international folk conference, and a lot of things kind of fall into that folk umbrella. But these guys were over from Denmark, and this was, I don't know, eight, ten years ago. Um, and they were a band, and they were looking for American songwriters to bring to Denmark. And they heard my stuff, and they loved me. They brought me over. We did a couple tours together. We made albums together. And if I wasn't if I left North Carolina, it's like a part of that thing that makes me special would be missing from my life. Yeah. Being being here and being in this culture and just the way that people talk and the way that that ends up in my lyrics, it's a part of what makes me special to people who are living somewhere else in the world. So I, I, I feel like being here is important to my art in that way. Well, actually, your family has been here like decades, right? Uh, for centuries. Yeah, centuries. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm the seventh generation to be born in North Carolina as far as we know. Wow. I mean, that's, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a North Carolinian, without a doubt. Well, I had no idea until I had to write a biography for my own press kit. <laughs> <laughs> I started talking to my brother, and I was like, wow, really? I guess we're from around here. Yeah, probably so. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's that. It, it seems that way anyway. 
Yeah, I was on a label. I just, I just want to mention you. You mentioned the label thing. So sure. at the Kerrville Folk Festival 2003, and I won the the new folk competition, and I had um, two albums. I had Wildflowers and The Waitress. Those are my two albums. I sold 80 of them before I was able to walk off of the stage. I mean, how great is that? that? That's how many I I had brought with me. I was very optimistic. So um, I called my landlady at home and I said, please go into my house and get this box and mail it to me. And, you know, overnight it, pay the money, I'll pay you back. Right. And by the time I left the festival, I sold 200 records. Wow. Um, and I outsold everybody, even the stars that were playing the main stage. It was really amazing. And that intimate relationship, that's something that happens in Texas for people. It is. It doesn't matter how big you are. It matters how much they like your stuff. It is. I, mean, I agree with that totally. Yeah. And they want to they take it with them. They want to take it home. They're going to study it. You know, it's just, it's so cool. Oh, yeah, and, so, they, and, um, and there they can't wait to turn someone on to your music, you know. Absolutely. Hey, I just saw this great songwriter, you know, his stuff. You just won't believe it. I mean, that's Texas. Absolutely, absolutely. So there was a guy in the audience, his name was Andrew Calhoun, and he was actually from uh, Chicago. And he had a record label. At the time, I think he was in Portland. He had moved out to Portland, but he's eventually made his way back to Chicago. He had a label called Waterbug Records, and the label really was just, he had kind of put together the business in the most hands-off way that he possibly could. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to create the idea of a label. What, what I think what he realized was that labels were becoming um, uh, an unnecessary expense for an artist that if he could make something called a label that put a bunch of artists together and got them access to radio and the press and that kind of thing through the strength of that collaboration, then that's really all they needed. And he could just put together a good list of, uh, of folk DJs, a good list of folk publications that just keep those lists updated and keep sending those people stuff from the label so he kind of just managed the mailroom of this label and took a very minimal amount of money. And he approached me after that, after I won the competition there. And then everybody who, the winners do a, a winner's concert. There's right. six of us. There's six, six winners, which is super cool. I, I love that too. Because yeah. the judges can pick a diverse kind of group of writers. Um, and then the six winners do a concert. So he has seen that too. And he, he's, he's like, well, you can put on a show too. And I saw that. Um, and I'd, I'd love to put out your next record, and here's how it works. So Waterbug Records carried my stuff um, until this last record. They just finally closed up the shop. Well, it's an excellent um, concept even today. I mean, it's yeah. still a good concept. Well, now he, he closed up shop because it's just CD sales just yeah. fell to nothing. Right. Um which there's a bunch of sides of that. Like I love Spotify. I love YouTube music. I love those services. I use those services all the time. And I love the fact that, um, instead of spending, you know, $15,000 or something, publicizing a record the way I used to do, like I hired a radio publicist, I hired a press publicist. And then as the internet came of age, I started hiring a social media person. Sure. 
for a release. I mean, it's just too much work for one person to manage this, a, a good release. Um, so instead of that, you know, I can, I can record a track when we get off the phone. Yeah. And I can put it on Bandcamp, and I can hit my email list to my Facebook page, and sell something today. Yeah, which is great. And I can I can put it on Spotify, I can put it on Apple Music, I can put it on YouTube, and generate content that attracts more people into my thing. So that you know, when I do that, when I put something online, I get ready to sell it. I you know, I can sell more of it. And I have this relationship that doesn't rely on me spending so much time and money putting the record out there. Spotify makes it easy for me. Apple Music makes it easy for me. YouTube makes it easy for me. I don't want to give everything away, but I certainly want my art to affect people. Right. I want I want people to interact with my art and for it to affect their lives and to move them. And the way to do that from as far as I can tell is to get yourself a billboard on Times Square to get, you know, (laughs) to be able to put yourself in the rack beside the Snickers bar at the grocery store. Right. You got to be out there where people can find you. So I, I love all that stuff, but it is, um, I mean, if you're looking for good sound, the audio quality of a CD is unbeatable. And I, I still like vinyl. I still like, uh, you know, analog right. stuff. But it, it, that's a color. It's not, when you really break it down, the sound quality is not as, quote, good. It's a certain color and it's cool and it's magical. A piece of vinyl, right. a diamond on a piece of plastic is like some kind of <laughs> beautiful quantum paradox or something. Um, but the quality of digital music, what it got to, um, is really amazing. We've it been listening is. to MP3s and we've been streaming on YouTube and stuff like that. And when you just take a break from that and put on some headphones or oh. put on your good speakers and put a CD on, oh yeah, you un- forget how good it is. Unbelievable. Yeah. Silky smooth. Yeah. You and you forget you forget the depth at which you can hear it as opposed to yeah through your MP3 and your headphones. You know. It's, yeah. It's cool. And, and a lot of people will say, "Well, I don't even have a CD player." Anymore. You can hardly find one, right? And right. that's true. So, but uh, there's a service called Bandcamp, and I'm Sandy. I'm sure you know about Bandcamp. I do. But, but for anybody listening, that yeah, Bandcamp, you should you should talk to about you, Bandcamp. Yeah, you can download full quality wave files. We have to upload full quality up, uh, wave files to Bandcamp. They make right. you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, when somebody downloads something from Bandcamp, not only are they paying the artist directly. Um, but you can choose what kind of file you want to download. And if you want MP3s, that's what you download. But if you want full quality WAV files, just like you're listening to a CD, you can download that from Bandcamp. Yeah. And iTunes will play. iTunes will actually play 24-bit 48K. It, iTunes will play almost any format it, you it throw will. at it. Yes, it will. Yes, it it'll, will. it'll play the files that, that we use in the studio, much less what's on a CD. Right. Yeah, this is true. Is, this is true. So, so you're doing most. Of, are you doing most of your recording these days at home? Um, the last record we did, and uh, and the, the tunes that we're listening to, most of the songs um, that we're using for this show were recorded at the Rubber Room with Jerry Brown in Chapel Hill. Yeah, 
Yeah, I know. Uh, mixed by John Keane down in Athens. I know John too, yes. John's just such <laughs> a great guy. Yeah. But he's got gold records and he just doesn't care. He's got platinum records with his name on them and he just doesn't, he just wants to work. Yeah, I, I agree. Working. He does. I, I don't think he's in it for anything but what he's doing at the time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So he mixed it and then uh, mastered by Brent uh, Lambert at the kitchen here in Carborough great mastering studio mm-hmm. so we did a we did the full thing on that record on pick up cowboy right. and, the, and the tracks that we've been listening to from pick up takeout which was six tracks that were recorded during that album that didn't make the record um but the guy who played cello with us paul ford he the last day of recording for that whole record he was diagnosed with brain cancer I saw that, tumor. Yeah. and it's his playing was amazing you wouldn't believe it he would he verbally wasn't able to make sense the last couple of days, hmm. but his playing was incredible. And um, so we had these six tracks that didn't make the record that we, we just like some kind of miracle that we got the record at all, much less this extra material. Right. Um, and so we finally said, well, we should just put that out as an EP, a six track project, um, because the songs are great. And it's this beautiful record of our, our friend. It's amazing That's playing that he yes. did. That's most of what we listen to. And then we also listen to, um, or either we have or we're going to listen to, I've Been Everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, which is a parody that I wrote of that song about being stuck at home. That's been a big one around here. Uh, it, it so touches what's been going on. And oh, we there's a lot of days when things are, kind of kicking around strange here and we'll go over there and put that on you know it's like you know it kind of just brings us it just bring lightens up the mood for us that's good you know we uh, we just we walk over so i'll come in i can tell the mood if if i've been everywhere is on i can tell what okay maybe maybe things have been a little awry here today because i you know maybe somebody's a little stir crazy here so but yeah that's fabulous too i mean that is really that is really a fun. It's a fun video too. Before I forget it. Yeah, that was fun. Just doing it in my house. <laughs> so, oh yeah, several people asked me, "Do you reckon that's his house he shot it in?" I said, I, "Oh yeah." I was supposed to ask you that, so I just did. Since you brought it oh, up, yeah. I'd forgotten that. But yeah, yes. Um, well, yeah, we did it right here. That's funny. Yes, it's a it's a great video though. Yes, uh, you know, also. Your live, your live band is killing. Oh, thanks. Yeah, Johnny and Austin, they're they're just so yeah. Great. Where did you find those guys at? I've been playing with Johnny for probably almost ten years, and Johnny and, and Paul, who I just mentioned, right? Uh, they kind of came together. They were best friends. They played together all the time, and so they came together as kind of my duo right. when they started playing with them. And uh, I would play with them locally. I'd go out and tour. Um, it's like I said, the economics of touring solo, you can make a living uh, easier that way. And then I'd come home and I'd play with them locally. Um, but then I started doing well enough that I could take them on the road and we did some touring together. So when Paul died, um, it was just me and Johnny again. And Johnny is such a special player. Oh boy, is Johnny. I mean, mean, Johnny is special. Yeah. electric guitar 
is obviously that's his main instrument. But he can play anything he puts his hands on. And he plays the mandolin, he plays the harmonica, he plays a musical saw, he plays the washboard. Well, what and, I... um, and as a performer, he, even when he's not playing, when he's just standing there on stage looking cool. Yeah, he does look cool before I forget it. about it. You're like, what is going on with that guy? Uh-huh. <laughs> and he will. I mean, that's the kind of player he is, too. Is he'll st- half the time, half the show, if you watched and you had a stopwatch and you were clicking it, I bet half of literally half the time he's not playing. Oh, I know, but that's what makes him so dadgum special. I mean, absolutely. And when he does play, about half of the time he plays, he he never overplays it. He just puts what needs to be there, and he, and he does absolutely. it so well. I, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good choice. I I didn't know I didn't know if he was living in your area and you just ran into him. Yeah, he's living here. He's originally from Pittsburgh, around Pittsburgh, and uh, moved down here, I don't know, 20 years ago, something like that. He's fabulous, too. Um, he, um, Paul moved down here with his wife, Barbara, and started a landscaping business, and they, they discovered North Carolina loved it, and then Johnny and Paul were always good friends, so Johnny started to come down here to visit, and eventually he moved down here. Yeah. And uh, he, was, he doesn't play with anybody but me. I mean, he's super picky about who he plays with and what... Oh, I know. I was inspires him to play. He, he's not. He's not like most musicians I know. Like pretty much every other musician I know is driven to play all the time. Right. And he would just leave his stuff at my house for two weeks, and That's then he'd crazy. come back, and we would rehearse, and he'd play great. But I knew he hadn't touched his instruments in two weeks because they're sitting <laughs> in my house. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, this is funny too. It's like okay. He's really cool too. I'd like to get in touch with him. Man, he don't do anything either. I mean, he's not on. If he's not with no. you, he's not on social media at all. No, no, he's not on social media. You know, it's like, yeah, man, I'd really like to talk to him. And it's like, well, that's that's a wall. I mean, there's yeah, there's nothing to find there. You know. <laughs> no, he's just uh, he just is who he is. He's like a wild animal. Yeah. Um, you kind of got him tamed up enough, you know, at least on a leash to play with you, you know. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't tell Johnny what to do, that's for sure. <laughs> let him go. Well, let him go, and he's great. So Johnny and I were, you know, we were playing as a duo um, and doing a little bit that way. But we went at the same time we lost Paul, and we went through a couple of agents. And every time you work with somebody new, you always have to book ahead of time. So then there's a six-month lag before oh, yeah. you start working again so we have to learn everything again we go on the road and by the end of a two-week tour we kind of know our show again and i just thought we you know there's a we should do a residency we should do a once a week thing somewhere and if we make 50 bucks who cares but we just it's to learn while you earn you just give yourself a reason to play so i went to this little roadhouse it was two miles from my house and I had noticed in the past couple of years, like they got a, a little music scene going there. People, the real bands are coming out there to play. Right. And it's just this little shack. Um, but I went out there and I just said, "Looks like you've got nothing going on on Wednesday night. Would you mind if I came out here and played?" It, it turned out to be a guy I'd known about twenty-five years before that. He had made some posters and helped me promote his show. So he'd always kind of been into the music scene, helping right. out with the music scene not a player just somebody who's interested and wants to make it happen you have to have those people 
they have to have those people. So him and his wife, Jody, had bought this place and were running it. And he said, yeah, come on out Wednesday, 7 o'clock, play for three hours. It's like, oh, three hours. Okay, well, I'm sure. I guess we'll do that. He just told me how it was going to be. You know? I was like, okay. And I can practically walk there, so no problem. All right. And uh, we started playing every week. And, and it's a little honky-tonk. It's like a, it's a real little roadhouse. I thought, we just need some energy in the band if just me and johnny as a duo right it might be kind of weird to do a show at a place like that so um we had both known austin for years in fact austin came and played with us one time a few years before that um so we asked him to play with us and he had little enough going on he's like yeah let's try it out and he couldn't make every wednesday he had to have to take a wednesday off every now and then he had another band he was working with but it just took off. And when I say the Kraken, and it's a little roadhouse, I mean, fire code is 65. <laughs> that's a little roadhouse. That's a little place. And that's elbow to elbow in there. Um, and we would have, some nights we'd have 200 people out there. Wow. Be people out in the parking lot, people who were just there for the scene. And we had opened the doors so you could kind of hear the band out in the parking lot. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that just, it became our trio, working together as a trio became very important to us, and playing that Wednesday residency became very important to us very quickly. And right. again, there was like a six-month lag of us telling our agent, you know, I don't think we will ever want to miss this. Maybe right. never have us on the road on a Wednesday night. <laughs> <laughs> and so within a few months, we had figured it out where we didn't have to get people to replace us so much. Right. Well, they compliment your music very well. I, I mean, that's, that's a good choice. It, they really compliment what you do. Well, they're they're great, and they're both um, they're both like Swiss Army Knife musicians. Um, and the other band that Austin plays in is a Senegalese band, so he plays this. Oh, totally like, different style. Plays, plays with a Senegalese guy who plays a kora, um, and and sings in his own native language and they have um, you know drums and bass and it's like a, right. there's, a, there's a real dance element to it it's a whole different thing so Austin can do anything sounds like it to me and, and again like Johnny I bet literally half of the show Austin doesn't even play yeah I would he just that. sits there and looks cool while I'm playing a ballad and telling a story well, oh, let's, let's, yeah, let's hit the element of you have no bass player, although I've seen you playing bass before. Yeah, I play bass sometimes now. So we started playing as a trio with no bass player, and we would just kind of, you know, fake it, and uh, people didn't really notice. Like, I think it was a few months that we played there before some guy who actually played the bass yeah <laughs> came up and said you know i noticed you don't have a bass player um so i guess just we would have a full enough sound we would just have enough low end in the guitars and we would play certain parts that made it feel like there was a bass line sure. there um and probably he we're... uses a he probably uses a um octave pedal or something somewhere along that that's up somewhere. well what happened is that we were touring in the uk and we saw a solo songwriter um, who had the Boss OC3 yeah. pedal. Mm -hmm. 
And it's the only pedal that I've seen. It's the only very simple rig that I've seen where you can dial in the range of the pedal so that it would only create an octave for the lowest one or maybe two notes that you're playing. Oh, yeah. It doesn't create an octave for all the strings. It doesn't create that kind of weird, almost 12-string Right, yeah. That's, and that's the, yeah, that's the drawback from those. It sounds like you're playing with the 12-string. Yeah. So I, I picked up one of these pedals, and hundred and something dollars, something like that, and, and I just dial it back so that really my open D string might be the lowest or the highest note. Right. That it would register, and I had to adjust my playing a little bit. Uh, like I wouldn't if I was playing a musicians who are listening out there. If I was playing a like a like a big open E chord, I might instead of playing the B on the low A string there, I might just have my finger there muting the string. Oh yeah. So that the octave pedal is only picking up that bottom E. Right. Or if I play a C chord, I wouldn't play the C and then that G underneath it. Sometimes you yeah. play that full chord. Yeah. I might rock between those like a bass player would go doom, right. doom, yep. doom. And so the pedal would only be catching that one bottom note and not a couple where it gets gets really wobbly in that low right. range. Um, but that, so I, I got one of those and that, that felt good. I was like, okay, cool. We got some bottom end, and the, the band was excited about that. They're like, yeah, that feels great. That feels better. Like we got a little more energy in the band now. And I don't know. We, we didn't get a bass player. It's like I was looking for a certain kind of person, you know. And it, working with Johnny and working with Austin, they're so special and they're so individual. I don't know. It's like dating. It's just not not everybody works. Even if right. you're a great bass player. True. I agree with that. It, there's a personality thing, and there's a a look and a certain style that goes with the band, you know? And yours is so cool. I mean, I could see where I would, that's so magic. I would be really careful if I touched it. You know, it's, it's just. Well, and we had some, we've had some great bass players sitting with us too. Kashana Armstrong uh, would, I mean, she'd be in the band now if she lived here, but she lives in Nashville. Right. Uh, but Glenn Jones is a great local bass player who sat in with us. Um, Greg Kleinman came through on tour. He's a cool songwriter, and he's a bass player as well. And he sat in with the band on the basement thing. Um, but nobody, we just, the situation wasn't right for somebody to stick. And so right. we had Paul's bass. And at some point I said, well, uh, I think Johnny had it, or uh, maybe Barb, uh, Paul's wife still had it. I said, well, let me borrow that bass, and I'm just going to play some bass, see if I can play something that makes sense and I tried a couple different songs and found a couple things like I can play the bass on this and Johnny's guitar part is such that it'll feel like the sure. like the police kind of power trio right. thing you know um, and I've had so much fun I could probably play half the show now on the really? bass that's cool I mean I liked what I've heard with you with you on bass I, I thought it was I thought the magic stayed with the song pretty much yeah, well, I've been, I, I mean, I'm having fun with it. Sometimes it's hard to sing. And it play is. I'm a bass player, too, so I hate, yeah. it's hard to and do. Bass is, bass is so on the beat. It is. Whereas a vocal needs to be a lot more fluid than that. So it is like the rub your tummy, pat your head. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. And, I've been and, learning um, some, some old soul tunes, um, 
I've got to use my imagination and Midnight Train to Georgia. <laughs> yeah, that's and, good stuff. And stuff like that and playing those bass lines and trying to sing those songs at the same time. Yeah. That's the workout right there. That's, that's a challenge. <laughs> no doubt. That's a challenge. Yeah. I'd say get the metronome out and slow it down. <laughs> uh, of your songs, do you have a favorite? Of my own songs? Yes. I have several favorites that are favorites for different reasons. Um, I would say if I was going to play one song. Yeah. If I was in a room full of Nashville writers and publishers, or if I was playing an open mic um, in Austin, Texas, and I know people have a really high appreciation for songwriting, right. that kind of it was a high pressure situation for the song itself. Yeah, I would play "I Was an Oak Tree." That's a good song. Now, I mean, that is that is a fine song. I, that that is a fine song. It's it's a it's a clever song. It has a certain thing that I wanted to do that I feel like I did it. I really did what I wanted to do with that song. It's very quick. It's not a it's not a long ballad that takes five or six minutes to sing. It's just maybe two and a half minutes. Right. It's very quick, um, and it has this kind of circular logic that feels really good when you get to the end of the song i, I agree i mean it's a great song i i do i think it's i do think it is one of your finest songs i do like it a lot thank you that one there's another one called the law and the lonesome yeah right. yeah it's a bit more of a, a longer more epic piece and i wrote it with my friend corin raymond who's a songwriter from ontario i think it's the purest co-write i've ever done where it's it's actually hard to tease apart who did what in the song. That's good. Uh, and we've written a bunch together, and that's really, usually it's one of us has an idea for a song, and the other one of us helps the other write it. Um, that's usually more how the, that co-writing relationship works. But for that one, it really was. It took us a couple of years to write it, and we just, we emailed each other back and forth. We'd call each other every now and then, leave a message with a new lyric. Um, and you know it took a long time and it's hard to tell who did what that's great I mean that's the way a co-write actually should should be I mean I don't I don't see you have a song writing team like the people do in Nashville these days you know five or six people get together to write a song I could never do that yeah, that would be hard that's too too many people too many too many visions of the song for me it would be tough for me just because part of the rewarding part of being an artist is being very particular about what I put out there mm. like I always want to represent myself well it's not that it's it could be a fine song but it doesn't feel like my song right I do understand uh, that. Then I, yeah, I don't want it out there. So when you're writing in that situation, you don't really have control over that. You're just you're writing for the team. True, you are. You're writing for the singer, whoever you want to sing it, right. and, and you've got to just serve that purpose. I can do that. It's a little harder for me, and it's just, in the end, it's not what I wanted to do with my career. Right. I always respected um, people like... Um, even when I was young, like David Bowie. Sure. Who would just, I mean, he's practically a different man on every album. Yep. 
and he had a very specific thing he wanted to create and he created that vision well i mean your stuff uh, is kind of that way in the fact that um one record is different than the other for sure you know yeah i mean now it has the same opportunity to explore right well one of the, i I still think uh, working offshore is just a masterpiece too. I, I, oh, thank you. I mean, that's <clears throat> there's a sadness to it for sure, you know. But it's um, those words flow together so well. I mean, I, I don't know how hard that was for you to write, you know, if it was a long term thing. But it's a fine piece of fine piece of writing. Uh, it actually it didn't take that long. It was uh, what happened is I, I met this guy Charles Red McEwen is his name. And uh, he lives in Maryland. He's my ex-wife's cousin's brother-in-law. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's a song he in itself. Over, he was over for uh, for dinner one night, and he told me enough of that story that I said, "Could you? What are you doing tomorrow? Could you come back here? And I want to ask you more about this story." Um, and I just put my phone on the table and hit record and he told me that story. Right. Um, that is that song. So then I took that recording of him talking and, and then played it back and took notes, everything that I thought was interesting about it. Um, and I came up with a piece of music and made the story rhyme and made it about four minutes long, <laughs> uh, which, you know, it's not as easy as it sounds, but that was the process. Right. Um, so maybe within a few weeks, I had that song done. That's a fine, fine song. Fine, You know, it's a really good story, but it's well a well-written song. Thank you. Yeah. It's a real showcase for Johnny, too. It, ha it has become that, um, one of those things that we play at almost every show, and, and, and Johnny sometimes will will play or not even play as much as perform. Yeah, yeah he does perform, yeah. Five, eight, ten minutes, who knows how, you know, we just have to hang on. Um, but he'll, yeah, if, if we have a live audience, he'll go and sit in somebody's lap. He'll crawl on the floor. <laughs> I mean, he'll go up to the bar and order a drink. And, then, and and stand there and play and then get his drink and walk back to the stage and then play some more. <laughs> like all the, all the while, we're just keeping the song going and he's doing whatever he does. That's, that's really cool. And and now that we don't have a live, live audience, he's really laying more into the musicality of that kind of a journey and just taking people on a sonic journey. Uh, and it's wild. I mean, sometimes he'll detune every string on his guitar and just make howling noises or... You know, you just never know with Johnny. Yeah, Johnny. Johnny's one of a kind, without a yeah. doubt. I mean, he's he's too cool. But you have so many. I mean, how how large is your catalog of songs? Uh, I don't know exactly. I think at some point we figured out we have we could probably play for seven hours. Jesus, without uh, repeating a song, it's like being in a wedding band. I I never, you know, I I never. Uh, I never had access to that many songs right. before. I've never done that kind of a job. Like if you play in a, in a wedding band or sure, some kind yeah. of band like that, you have to have access to a lot of material. Sure. Um, 
the Bowery, <laughs> the Bowery in South Carolina. I've done that job. You know, that's uh, you got to have oh. a thousand songs. Okay, you're, yeah. You're playing for tips, so it's that's, you know. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And so we, you know, we have to have that kind of a catalog, but it's my catalog. Mostly. Right. Yeah, and that's great. I mean, I, I mean, I, you do you ever? Well, I guess you do because you want to, but you you have very few covers ever on your show, do you? Yeah, we're doing more now. Uh, it's because we're, we've been playing every week for three years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess so, yeah. And we just, we're just, we want to have fun. We want to try some different stuff. And, and also, I just want to be a, I want to become a better bass player and a better guitar player. Um, and I, I, my first instrument was really the piano, I think. And, um, so I've been playing some piano at home and we're just trying to figure out like where does it go on stage and what songs does it belong in right. that kind of stuff so and cover songs are a really cool way to explore that true. explore this an different instrument especially those old soul tunes with the bass it's like mm. man if you want to learn how to play the bass I agree with that you <laughs> listen to Duck Dunn James Jamerson yep. uh, people like that they, they will Carol Kay she'll Carol teach you Kay. how to play the bass yeah, she'll teach you how to play the bass too yeah <laughs> Um, is there is there some songs that are in every show you do? There are a few songs. Uh, a Big Truck Brought It, which yeah, is that's not great. one of my songs. This is a song written by Rob Byermeyer from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Right. And uh, he's, he never leaves Winnipeg, doesn't tour. <laughs> you know, everybody in Winnipeg knows who he is. Nobody outside of Winnipeg knows who he is. Right. Um, unless they're a fan now of mine or Corin Raymond, and we both recorded that song. Um, and that song just needed to leave Winnipeg and get around. Yes, great song. Yeah, it, it's a great. It's a song you can play. At, you know, you can play at a hospital waiting room. You can play at a senior center. You can play it at elementary school. You can play it anywhere. True. Bulletproof song. Yeah, it is. So we play that song almost every night. Poor Johnny. It's an acapella number that we do almost every night. Um, Working offshore is one that we do almost every show. Um, although there's another one that we introduced called Bike Week that I never I had written that song years ago never had a reason to play it until we had a drummer ah. um, and we'll play that that's another showcase for Johnny and also for Austin Austin will take a big drum solo uh, in that song so that's a, Working Offshore or Bike Week there's another one called When the Well Runs Dry that Johnny plays a big solo at the end and one of those will kind of have we, we need to have like our Allman Brothers moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's some time when we can jam out for a while. Oh, yeah. That's really cool. I mean, uh, actually, you have it pretty going on. I mean, uh, you're probably light years of, ahead of where a lot of people have beat themselves to death, really. really I mean, you have control over everything that you do for the most part. Well, I mean, I mean, at least, at least artistically, um, you don't have a record label telling you what you have to do. Yeah, that's true. Yep, that's right. That's right. There's no record label. There's no publisher. There's no management. We have an agent. We have a great agent. Right. Um, Michael Kelly with Dynamic Artists, and that's a big agency. Uh, we're really lucky to be with them. They're they're not doing anything now. Michael's just you know. Sure, nobody just, is. Just sitting on his hands yeah. mostly. Um. But uh, yeah, we have 
just there's nobody telling us what to do and, and that works two different ways i mean in one way it's good to be part of a larger machine it's good not to be responsible for everything there's somebody out there working promotion and, and to be part of a bigger team there's the collaboration can be rewarding it can um and on the other hand then you you have to give you have to make sacrifices you give up control over things you can't mm-hmm. make all the decisions um and sometimes that's good for you, but sometimes it's like, you know what? I really just want to make this. Right. This is what I want to do, and this is exactly how I want to do it. Um, and it's harder to do that when you are working with and depending on other people. True. It's, I, I, now, you don't get to go over to the Kraken now, do you? Well, we've been playing. We're we're still playing every week. What happened is everything got locked down, and right. then the the, uh, the maximum group meeting size was ten people indoors. Right. Um. So the week that they locked down, um, we were thinking about before they locked down, before the, it became law mandated. Right. Um. We were already thinking, you know, we should maybe just set this up somewhere else. This feels irresponsible to bring people to a show packed into a little roadhouse. Right. Uh, we were just finding out about this disease. <clears throat> so we were considering uh, there's a nearby uh, gym that is not used, and there's some, some spaces. My garage might be big enough to do it. We'd have to, you know, move things around. But um, then they, then the, the state locked the bars down. Right. And then I was like, wait a minute, we don't have to go anywhere. We have fewer than 10 people. And if Kirk and Jody are cool with it, then we can just go back into the Kraken and, and set up in there and do our show like we always do. Sure. And that's what we did from the very first week. We just switched to that. We'd already been live streaming. I've been live streaming for a couple of years already. Right. Um, so we had that, down we had great sound and great video already we were really ready to rock with the live stream so we just slipped into that now recently um you just screen fatigue giving fatigue sure whatever it's just we sort of leveled out at a nice level but it's we're not making quite enough money to support the band and the crew every single week right so then we, we switched to every other week. You know, we'd come back and do a big cracking show every other week, and then the weeks between, I'm just going to do a live stream from my house. Oh, yeah. Um, for definitely my songwriter fans, where I just play a more stripped-down show that's more about the songs. And people really loved it. They loved having that variety. So now that the numbers are on the way back up, and I'm in Alamance County, which is a red county by the North Carolina Alert System. There's a lot happening here. We said, you know what? It feels again. It feels like we need to make our bubbles a little smaller. Sure. And so I'm just going to live stream from home for a few weeks. Our hope is that the numbers will look a little better soon, and that on December 30th we'll be able to go back to the crack and um, even if people can't be inside with right, us, right? You can we, be in there with us anyway. Sure. People can be outside. We can have the doors open and we can play a nice big New Year's show. That would be good. That would be cool. But if things don't change, we're not going to do that. Right. You know, if it keeps looking bad, we're just going to stay home and encourage everybody else.
best to stay home. Sure. Try to do the right thing. That is the right thing. Yep. Well, do you, I mean, I know you're anticipating hopefully being out by summer back out on the road, maybe. Yeah, well, you know, (laughs) let me get honest with you here. It's been so good (laughs) to be home. I understand that, too. Honestly, I can't complain. I, I haven't been home for nine months in a row in 20 years. Yeah. And being home with my son, who is, he's going to turn 11 in January. I see my mom every day. The members of my community and my friends are close by. Um, and that has been so rewarding. And I've figured out ways to make money without having to be on the road. Um, which I kind of had already in place. I just didn't didn't really process it until I had to do it and then I realized I can kind of make this work so it's just going to take a lot more to get me on the road sure I I understand that I mean that's that's the truth once you have a little time off from the road you're thinking did I ever really want to do the road part of it I mean you know I mean it's unnecessarily evil there for a while but oh it is better than being gone (laughs) yeah and I I figured there's some places that I go that are just so great. Like almost any time I go anywhere in Canada, it's it's like it's like we talked about Texas being. It is. I and agree. People just they love songwriters. They love music. They turn their friends on to it. They place a high value on it. So almost anywhere I go in Canada is very rewarding, and I would love to go back. Texas, of course, is very special. I'd love to go back. Yeah. Um, there's a really great one of my favorite festivals and my favorite little towns anywhere sisters of oregon they have the sisters folk festival and they have uh, programs throughout the year that are uh, sponsored by the festival as well and they have a songwriting school called the americana academy that happens before the festival for a week this camp up in the mountains they have a songwriting camp um so there's places that are special to me that i would love to go back right to. yeah i understand um, that too yeah but I, you know, I'm not going to bust my butt out there on the road, you know, mm-hmm. night after night. It just doesn't make any sense for me. I turned 50 this year. I was getting ready to boat set. I don't feel old. I just feel like I, I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's great. I, that's, I, I'm glad you've come to that conclusion. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, a, it's a good point because um, probably had this not happened, you'd be beating yourself to death on the road. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, that's really cool. Yeah. So. And and again, like I I just feel like I feel like it's a great time to be an artist, whether or not we're in the middle of a pandemic or whatever. We have the internet. Like when I started doing this, people didn't listen to music over the internet. True. This is 99, 2000, and the internet was there, and people were starting to have email addresses, like not just people who worked at universities and for the city or whatever, right. but just normal people started to have email addresses, and um, people started to just, were just starting to kind of have a place to shop online. I think CD Baby was just getting oh, off yeah, the ground yeah. around then. Um, but now... I have such a direct relationship with my fans. If you leave a comment on my YouTube video, I will read your comment and reply to you. 
if I, if you're on my email list and you get an email from me and I email everybody once a week on Monday, um, if you s- s- send me an email back to my, from my email list, then I will get that email and I will read it and I will reply to it. That's if fabulous. you buy something from my store, I will put it in a package and sign it and take it to the post office and send it to you. <laughs> and I never imagined that. When I was first starting out, I thought, you know, gold records and Grammys and playing for thousands of people at a time, that was the only vision that I had been afforded of the music business. Right. Um, and then I think a little bit from my early years working around here, but definitely when I went to Texas and discovered that there was a scene uh, of people who are really into what you do and you go back and play once or twice a year, I started to put together a different vision of what a music business could be. Um, and now I just, I love it so much. I don't really have to even send my album to radio if I don't want to. Right. That's a choice that I make now, but I don't have to do that to do business. I have, I can put it online and people can hear it and my fans can have access to it. Regardless of the radio or the newspaper or any of that stuff that I used to worry about so much. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, that is great. The pandemic has been great for me because uh, it is my podcast has just exploded. I guess people have time to listen now. Right. Um, so. and, and I just want to say, to balance that, I want to say that the DJs who play this music and people who do what you do are so valuable and they're so incredible. I mean, people would, would put a box together with their own CDs from their home collection or even vinyl and take it to their local radio oh, station where they have their show and turn everybody who's listening on to my music. Yeah, that's cool. Um, they're the biggest music fans in the world, and it's so cool. And so when I, when I say I don't need radio, I just also want to make the point that how awesome it is that there are people out there who care so much about the music scene yeah. and, and, and support the music scene in so many ways. You know, my quest is... You know, my quest has been there's a lot of North Carolina, but a lot of small town musicians who are doing incredible stuff that, and and they're successful. They may not, like you said, they may not have their Grammy. They may not have their um, gold record, but you know, they're making really fine music and putting out a yeah. real fine product. And people need to be aware of that and be, you know, Somebody needs to archive what's going on with that. Yeah, I think uh, I think the pandemic is accelerating some changes that were happening already. Um, and one of those changes is I think that music is going to become much more regional. Yeah, probably. That, that pe- people will not always be listening to the national and international artists. That you that there will be ways to discover the people who are right there where you are. That would be really cool if that happens. I agree. But, I mean, it's happening. It's happening already. Yeah, it is. The thing is, on, on social media, you're not you. You could be connected to anybody around the world, but mostly you're connected to your own community. True. And so many artists are. That's what they're doing now. They're reaching out through social media and through the internet. And so, the artists that you can discover um, in your own sort of 
chaotically curated um, curated um, <laughs> feed yeah. on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. So many of that, those artists that you're going to discover are going to be local and regional artists. And that's a good thing. It is. I mean, that also keeps music alive. That keeps musicians wanting to create because you're not shut out by a town or by a record company or a label or anything you know right. you can you can continue to dream of making your sound your music without Absolutely. you know with with little restraints i mean maybe not the big glory that you attempted but that's nevertheless uh not really a judge of how successful you are right so you know speaking of north carolina music like Doc Watson had to go to New York. Sure, he did. You know, um, Ben Folds Five had to go to New York. Yeah. You don't have to go to New York anymore. No, you don't. That's a recent thing. I think I think people are still catching up to the idea that the arts don't have to be from these places anymore New York, LA, Nashville maybe Austin and Boston sure you know uh, that that we can create from and work out of anywhere yeah and I mean North Carolina is a beautiful place to do it out of I will tell you that oh man the the access that you have you know North Carolina is not only a great place to work from and to live in but it's an inspiring place to work. There's a lot of great art here. Yeah, and there's great is. conversation. There's a great literary scene. A lot of great authors live here. They do. Um, a lot of fantastic musicians. And people have relocated here. True. Uh, pe- people who have made their name in other places um, have come here to settle down. Oh, yeah. They have. I mean, it's, it's, it is... Um... It's a good time to live in North Carolina. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I've been here a long time, so it's been a good time for me to always live here. Even though I've journeyed here and there, you can't beat North Carolina. Yeah. So, Jonathan, I appreciate you taking the time to do this, man. This has been so interesting and, and entertaining. Uh, your story is different than nearly anyone's I've come across. Well, thank you, Stacy. Good to talk to you this morning. Yep, I enjoyed it. That's probably Stacy Sandy. That's okay, man. It's okay. Hey, usually people think I'm a woman. You edit that part out. Yeah. Editing. Edit that part out. Well, you know, usually people uh, think I'm a female when they're ready to do the show. I think sometimes they're in shock. And it's like, well, okay, it's okay. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think well, sometimes people do it thinking, I, sometimes I think the only reason they do it is they think I'm a female. So, <laughs> you know, but but I but I'll use it. You know, for you. yeah, it, it works. So you know, but uh, yeah. Hey, listen, I only Thanks, wish you Eddie. the best in the coming year in the twenty twenty one, and uh, take care and keep keep putting out the product, brother. All right, I appreciate it. All right, thank you. Yep, take care. All right.
Put some weight on me. 